Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for August 26, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jackstein and Russ Dean, co-pastors at Park Road Baptist Church. Their sermon today is entitled, You're Close. I frequently use the New Interpreter's Bible as a commentary for preparing sermons. The New Interpreter's Bible divides each text with two types of commentary. The first is exegesis, a discussion of the words and the settings and the background of the text, a detail of the scripture itself. And then there's an exposition. It's an application. It's a pastoral word for the text. So today, as we talk about the Shema, we offer you an exegesis and an exposition. And between each of our exegesis expositions, we'll invite you to sing once through the Shema as you have just sung. You don't need the music. Just be prepared. Monty will lead us. You might have played the children's game as I did. You hide something, somebody else knows where it is, and then you have to find it, and you walk around the house, and they say, oh, you're getting cold, you're getting cold. You turn the other way, and they say, you're getting warm, you're getting warm, and you turn, and they say, no, you're getting cold again. And when you finally get really close to it, they say, you're hot, you're hot. Today, we're asking, how is it that we get close to God? The scripture has these four suggestions. Love God with heart, soul, mind, strength. And you can get close to God. Heart. In the Western world, maybe highlighted in the over-sexualized culture of American romance, love and heart are almost synonyms. We have allowed the myth of Cupid a highly sentimentalized version of falling in love to define humanity's deepest, most complex experience. We say things like, he stole her heart, or she broke his heart. Love is with the heart. It's an emotion, a warm fuzzy that enters here, that warms us up to the raging fire of erotic desire. And when it cools, as it almost inevitably does, as relationships settle into routine and bodies mellow with the comfort of age and inertia, we sometimes say, oh, we just don't love each other anymore. I just don't feel it. The Hebrews could teach us a thing or two about love just by helping us understand the heart a little better. For our forebears in faith, heart was not the center of the warm embrace of romantic desire. It was the seat of the will, almost more of what we think of the mind. You make a decision, the seat of your deciding, of your committing, the seat of your will. You felt love not so much in your chest as in your gut. And you know that experience when you have hurt for someone When you have grieved loss or pain of broken relationships, you don't feel it here in your chest. It radiates from your bowels, from your gut. Loving God with heart 
doesn't mean you're in a dating relationship with the divine. It's not that kind of love. You know, the cynical comedian said, Jesus said, I love you, not I'm in love with you. Loving God with heart is a matter of commitment. Like any good relationship, the way we love, the way relationships grow, the way marriages keep, is that we wake up each day and in the center of our will, in the bowels of our commitment, we say again today, I am going to love you. Love God with all your heart. I'm going to be telling you stories about you. Last week, I named a full paragraph of our collective pain. It was pretty much awful <laughs> it, for me. It was miserable because it was just so painful to put out there our collective pain. And many of you spoke to me about how overwhelming and powerful that was, hearing all of our pain spoken out loud. Well, this week, as we kick off a return to a regular routine of school and church life, I want to give you a few full paragraphs about how I observe you being close. I'm being close. How I observe you being church to show how close we can get to this text of loving God with all of who we are. We don't go to church. We are the church. By the time I'm done today, you may feel a little bit overwhelmed if you think you alone have to do all of these things. But what I'm presenting is not a list of expectations for church membership. Rather, I'm offering an invitation. Right now, it's an invitation to love the Lord your God with all your heart right here at church. Given that heart is more like the gut, I will tell you when I have seen heart love here. It's the end of each day, especially as the week progresses on and our young people are finally gathered together at day's end after sharing their lives with hundreds of other teenagers in the hills of Tennessee, after Rocky Top has been sung more times than is necessary, <laughs> And just our group gets back together and they share their fears and their doubts and their anxieties and their problems and their worries and they cry and they cry and they cry and then hugs are offered all around because vulnerability has been laid bare and your innermost thoughts are shared in the hopes that indeed it is true that when we bear one another one another's burdens we are fulfilling the law of Christ it is in those moments that I can see with my own two eyes and hear with my own two ears what it looks like and sounds like to love God with all of your heart I invite you to vulnerability to sharing to loving one another in and through the pain and worry, in and through the sharing of our lives, I invite you to put your heart, your gut, out there for everyone to see. And as we carry one another's burdens, we will know what it means to love God with our heart as the church 
But over the years, you have to know, folks have stopped by the church office after receiving bad news from the doctor. People have stopped by the church and sat in this room on their way to sign their divorce papers. And they've stopped by the church to say, we're pregnant. People stop by the church after natural disasters and after the 9-11s because this is a place that our gut takes us. I invite you to love God with your heart. is a fraught word. After a few hundred years of revivalistic piety, when we hear soul, we have been conditioned to think of the altar call. If you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I said that this morning and Monty started laughing. Monty, who's now part of Temple Israel, spent, has spent the vast majority of his life in Christian circles and he knows evangelistic piety as well as any of you. When we hear the word soul, that's where we tend to want to go. We've all been trained in the false dichotomy of dualism. There is a body on the outside, dusty and dirty, the source of all carnal desire and ungodly passion, and buried somewhere down deep inside us is the real essence of who we are. And the secret of religion is finding and saving and releasing that soul from its fleshly prison, which, left to its own devices, is destined for damnation. Well, this dualistic notion, this concept of a soul, distinct and separate from its fleshly container, is almost completely foreign to biblical religion if we understand scripture correctly. It starts at the very beginning. God did not create the man from the dust of the earth and blow a soul into him. That's how most of us have been taught it. There's the man, the container, and then God breathed the soul into him. And you gotta get the soul out of him, but that's not what the text says at all. God created a man and breathed into him the breath of life. And the amazing collection of blood and bone became a living soul. That's what the Bible says. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. Giving attention to the soul, spirituality, to use the popular word, cannot be properly accomplished by denying the body. They go together. There is no clean separation between natural and supernatural, sacred and secular, heaven and earth, body and soul. They go together. 
In that amazing narrative of creation, we come to realize that the breath of God has brought the two inseparably together. Religious life can be an indispensable means of attending to the soul because the soul is inseparably infused with a physical body. The ritual of religious experience should be part of our practice. Our bodies need to be practicing religion, but not at the expense of caring for the earth and caring for one another. Love God with all your soul. I'm offering an invitation. It's an invitation to love the Lord your God with all your soul right here as the church. Insight Meditation of Charlotte has their home on our campus, and these folks are serious about meditation. They were here almost all day yesterday, yesterday, though you would have never known it, because they spent most of the day in quiet even while euphoniums played in here and a Sunday school class prepped for a party in the youth building and Russ and I were doing our usual running around like chickens with our heads cut off getting ready for today, they were in quiet meditation, listening. Some of you start your every day that way. Some of you end your every day that way. And then there's some of you that run and ride your bike while some of you listen in the midst of more noise, whether it's coming from a belt sander or a sewing machine. How you love God with your soul looks and sounds as different as the beauty of each individual, but loving God with your soul is vital to the church. Singing in the choir and watering the garden, that's soul love. Making pillowcase dresses and prayer shawls, that's soul love every, much, every bit as much as sitting in the quiet for hours on end. There is no one right way to love God with your soul, and the only way you can do it wrong is to do nothing at all. We are to listen and do the work of the church with all of our being, with our soul. I don't expect you to do this, but I do invite you to love God with your soul. there is an element of human capacity that has been overlooked, underemphasized in modern American religious life, it might be the life of the mind. We are living, still not yet comfortably settled, with the movement of that most momentous chapter in human development called the Enlightenment. This is more than 200 years old, folks, and we're still not settled with the Enlightenment. Beginning in the 18th century, human beings learned to view the world for ourselves, to test and measure and evaluate, to base affirmations of truth, not just on divine revelation, but on what became known as the scientific method. 
And while there is valid critique of a way of thinking that can be too materialistic, too reductionistic, to use the words of the modern debate, the scientific method revolutionized our world, bringing industrial and medical and technological advances without which we would still be living in the dark ages. But the truth is that the church has not yet reconciled belief with the Enlightenment. Much of the religion that we have lived our entire lives is still framed mostly in opposition to the advance of science. For the last hundred years, the church has been in an unnecessary battle, positing evolution and creation as opposing sides of an irreconcilable worldview. The church will lose that battle, folks. In fact, it already has. Unfortunately, there are just too many in the church who don't know that yet. There is no reason to believe that God created us with the curiosity to search and the capacity to understand even brand new realms of insight and then expects us to check our brains at the door of the sanctuary. Why would God do that? Study to show thyself approved of God, the scripture says. Every avenue of inquiry, every discipline of study should be explored, and we should expect the affirmations of faith to be ever-changing, always being renewed, a result of the continuing revelation of God. It is significant that, Jesus, that as Jesus quoted the Shema, he takes the original exhortation to love God with heart and soul and strength and adds to it, love God with your mind. Now, I think it's not so much that Jesus is adding anything qualitatively new to that original, just making sure that we understand that it's important to fully love God, and to fully love God, we must not omit the life of discipline thinking. Love God with all your mind. I'm offering an invitation. It's an invitation to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, right here as the church. Some folks use email for this. We can engage in quite lengthy conversations, a lot of back and forths, because we're all trying to make sense of a complicated world in light of a life of faith. Sermons and discussions are only really good ones if the conversation extends beyond the moment. We love to hear about the conversations that continue at Jason's Deli after you leave here. I love to hear about the questions that come later. We aren't supposed to agree on everything. So we like knowing that we've sparked a question. We even like it when we cause consternation. Because invariably it makes us all dig deeper. Some folks invite an invitation for us to read and discuss books together one-on-one, -on -one, to hear different perspectives, pushing through what we were taught as a child, to dig deeper to more expansive ways of understanding. Some churches like for folks to check their brains at the door and enter worship 
to be open to all the feelings and emotions that can come when we stop trying to figure it all out. But I think we are challenged to engage our minds to think deeply about what it all means. To love God with our minds might also look like a brilliant idea that every single student at Sedgefield Elementary would get more than 10 books selected especially for each child, which meant our youth building was filled to overflowing with books for several weeks at the end of last school year. Books and books and more books, believing and knowing that there may be nothing more that we could do for our world than to educate our children and give every at-risk child as many advantages as possible, knowing that they have more hurdles to jump than our children do. I invite you, love God with mind. The biblical affirmation is clear and strong. God formed us from the earth, human and humus, dirt and humility are all related etymologically and theologically. The words are related and the concepts are related as well. The fact that God would dare to stoop, as one of our creation story tells it, and get a little dirt under the divine fingernails, creating human beings personally. This affirmation was a bold theological claim 3,000 years ago. Many thought of God as above the world, totally different from it. We're back to dualism, you see. God was supernatural, dirt was natural, and it was literally and figuratively beneath God to be part of that. In many ancient worldviews, God did not create, would not create, because God was above all of that dirty, fallen, messy, sinful stuff of earth. God delegated the creation of fallen human beings to some lesser God, a secondary divinity of sorts. But out of that kind of worldview of God, our Jewish ancestors made their bold theological claim, God made us. God is not above that. God cares, God touches, God gets a little bit dirty. Within the midst of this Jewish affirmation is the beginning of the Christian affirmation of incarnation. God was in Christ, even knowing us through suffering and death. Wow. Human bodies are an essential part of the revelation of God. So the Apostle Paul can say the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can know through our bodies what the psalmist affirms, taste and see that the Lord is good. In this life, in this world, with our physical senses, know God right here with all that makes us real and all that gives us physical strength 
and vitality. Love God with all your strength. I'm offering an invitation. It's an invitation to love the Lord your God with all your strength right here as the church. Building that community center may have been our collective best idea. How many baskets have been shot? How many volleyballs bumped, set, and spiked? How many relay races run? How many jumping jacks jumped? How many walls sits sat? How many balls dodged? How many leg lifts of our senior adults? How many rainy day hours of free play have been enjoyed in that gym? And now we even have a weekly quadriplegic rugby team where wheelchairs roll up and down the basketball court showing a strength of character every bit as much as strength of body. And how many meals have been served in that room to strengthen our bodies and how much fellowship has been shared? I almost can't remember what it was like to do ministry in this place without that space that lends itself so well to loving God as the church with our strength. But strength is not confined to a gym. There is strength in holding the hand of someone taking their very last breath. There is strength in showing up when all you really want to do is stay home. There is strength in pushing through the exhaustion of a work week to fulfill your duties on a committee or a team. It takes strength to be the church these days. I invite you, love God with strength. I've mentioned a lot of things to you today, from community garden to choir to pastoral care to chaperoning youth trips to a whole host of ministry and mission teams and programs that make us the church. We're not expecting you to give your entire life to Park Road Baptist Church. It's not church 24-7 for anyone, I think, except us. But we are inviting you to see what it means to love God is not to hide any part of who you are. We don't have an expectation, especially in this day and time. We know that you're going to have other commitments, and we don't expect you to be here all the time. But the text seems clear that God expects us to love with all that we are. We don't expect you to do all the things, but we graciously invite you to all the things. That feels so much better, doesn't it? We don't expect it. We graciously invite you to all the things and to see them not as jobs or tasks, but as avenues of love. We invite you not to come to church, not to go to church. We invite you to be the church. May it be 
be so. so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.